Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Take your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're beginning our new series this morning entitled Tension, Faith versus Culture. It's my intent over the next many weeks to preach sermons about topics that we struggle with. Things that are very real in our society, things that we as believers oftentimes don't quite know how to respond to, issues that we need to understand certainly, but issues that we need to think biblically about. And so every week I'm going to kind of tease the next week. Uh, This week is social media. We'll we'll get there in a second. Next week, so you can kind of be praying and maybe preparing your hearts this week, gender dysphoria. Now, I want to define for you gender dysphoria for next week, just so you'll know as you got to process this week. Gender dysphoria involves a conflict between a person's physical gender and the gender with which he or she identifies. It's the idea that they're born a certain gender, this person, but they're conflicted. And they want to identify as a different gender. Now, a lot of people think this is uh, a big deal in society, but it's not really going to affect me. It's not going to hit very close to home. Some of you probably heard this. And again, this is just kind of let you know it's closer than you think. Yesterday in Columbus at Mildred Terry Library at noon, Monica Starr, who is a local drag queen, read a children's book to a group of children at the library. And just so you don't think it's an isolated event, it's happened at eight or 9,000 other libraries around our country. It's a movement by the transgender community to get transgender people to read storybooks to little children in libraries. Now, this happened yesterday in Columbus. So if you think this is distant from you, if you think we're immune to this in the Bible Belt, you need to think again. We'll talk a lot about that next week. You be in prayer for me and for this sermon series. Today is social media. Now, we've got a lot to cover. Let's go and get started by taking your phones out and throwing them in the trash. Let's go and do that now. There's a dumpster in the back. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I do want you to think this morning and and kind of be challenged a little bit in in what you understand about social media. And so I want you to walk away from this sermon with some action steps. Okay, this is a very real issue that probably every one of us deal with on some level. Don't walk away here and go, that was a good sermon, and never do anything about it. All right, so what are two or three things, and that's between you and the Lord, that you can do with what you're about to learn? Now, let me... First of all, define social media for you so we're all on the same page. Social, social media can be defined like this, websites or apps on your phone that enable users to create and share content or, or to participate in social networking. Now, there are examples of social media such as Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube. And I, I want to give you some statistics about these different platforms And then ask you a question that I think will be very telling this morning. July of 2018, Facebook claimed 2.23 billion users. Now, there are about 340 million people in America, about 7 billion worldwide. This will kind of tell you how big of a deal this is. And we went to Zambia a couple years ago over Christmas. Everybody over there has a phone. True story. There's no electricity in their villages, but they have a cell phone. They charge it with a solar panel. These phone companies, you have to buy scratch-off minutes. They give people phones for free, and then they have to buy their minutes. Those of you that have been understand that, but everybody over there has got Facebook. It's true. They don't have running water in their homes. They don't have electricity. They don't have a doctor within many, many miles, but they have Facebook. 
2.23 billion users worldwide. 1.47 billion log in daily and are considered active users. Now let's rein this in just to the United States. 18 to 24-year-olds in the U.S., 78% of them use Snapchat. 78%. 71% of 18 to 24-year-olds use Instagram. And 68% of all U.S. adults use Facebook. YouTube is now used by nearly three-quarters of U.S. adults. 94% of 18 to 24-year-olds use YouTube. Now, here's going to be an interesting question for you. I want you to tell the truth, okay? Don't lie. This morning already, how many of you have accessed some level of social media? Raise your hand. How many have accessed it in the last two to three days? Raise your hand. Almost everybody. Pretty high percentage. It's interesting when you start looking at these numbers and you start kind of adding things up because according to one study, people spend more time on social media every day than they do eating, drinking, and socializing combined. On average, and by the way, these numbers are going up, people spend two hours a day on social media. That equates over the course of your lifetime to just over five years. Imagine what you could do with five years of your life. And, and we spend it looking on screens. Now, now, there are some good things about social media, right? We, we know there's some good things. We, we can connect with people. You can talk to people from long distances. It's amazing to me when I want to talk to our missionaries somewhere else in the world. Oftentimes, it's through some sort of a social media platform. It's free it's almost instantaneous. It just amazes me. When we, when we did the thing with Joe and Megan Fry, we did his ordination. Many of you watched on Facebook Live. I was in Guatemala. You were here, and you watched it in real time. That's amazing. Technology is incredible. We're, we're able to connect with old friends. Amy and I were sitting around last week talking about old friends we hadn't seen in a while. And I started talking about a guy that I knew when I lived in Fayetteville. And I moved here when I was nine. When I lived in Fayetteville, I had a good buddy that I haven't talked to in probably 30 years. So you know what I did? Got Facebook out, looked up his name, sure enough, found him, friended him, and he and I have been chatting this week. We've reconnected. So there are lots of good things about social media. But it seems increasingly like more and more statistics, more and more research is pointing to kind of a, a bad side of social media. So I want to spend a few minutes walking through some of the bad things just to kind of challenge you in your thinking to make you aware, then we're going to examine this from a biblical perspective. One of the biggest problems that people are seeing more and more studies are showing with social media is the idea of addiction. Now, I've got a slide up that says Google. Put that slide up if you would for me, please. How many of you guys have heard of dopamine? Not enough. You should go home just for fun. I don't know if it'll be fun. And Google dopamine and social media. Just Google those three words and spend the next hour reading. Let me read from you from a book called Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked, written by a professor from New York University. Here's what he says. The minute you take a drug, drink alcohol, smoke a cigarette, or when you get a like on social media... All of those experiences produce dopamine, which is a chemical that's associated with pleasure. Now watch this. When someone likes an Instagram post or any content that you share, it's a little bit like taking a drug. As far as your brain is concerned, it's a very similar experience. Fascinating. Right? Your body releases these little chemicals every time somebody likes 
something you've put on. That's why people have to open their Facebook feed and their Instagram feed so often to see if more people have liked it. It gives us this rush. It gives us a little high, very similar to taking drugs. Now, the problem with dopamine is it leads to addiction. The problem with addiction is it leads to depression. According to the American Psychiatric Association, we have it on the screen, there's a title of an article using many, many social media platforms linked with depression and anxiety risk. Here's the quote from the article. Research has suggested a link between spending extended time on social media and experiencing negative mental health outcomes. One young girl who was 19, apparently she was very well known on Instagram. Here's what she said. She said, I spent the majority of my teenage life being addicted to social media, social approval, social status, and my physical appearance. Social media is contrived images and edited clips ranked against each other. It's a system based on social approval, likes, validation in views, and success in followers. It's perfectly orchestrated for self-absorbed judgment. All right, so, so we get this idea of addiction first because of dopamine. And there, by the way, there's a lot of other research, a lot of other things you should read about. That leads to the idea of depression, which is documented pretty clearly in these studies. Depression leads to increasing suicide rates. We've got an article as well. And by the way, I'm creating, we've already created on our website under About Us, there's a sermon tab. Just below that is sermon resources. I'm going to put all this on sermon resources. You can go back and look it up yourself. New York Post, November 2017. Suicide rates for teens rose between 2010 and 2015 after they had declined for nearly two decades. According to data from the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, why the rates went up isn't known. The study doesn't answer the question, but it suggests that one factor could be rising social media use. Recent teen suicides have been blamed on cyberbullying and social media posts depicting perfect lives may be taking a toll on teens' mental health, researchers say. Another problem with social media is it feeds our desire to get fame and attention. One of the struggles we have as believers is we can do one of two things in life. We can either please the Lord and bring glory to Him, or we can please ourselves and bring glory to ourselves. When we post things oftentimes on social media, it's because we crave the approval and the attention of other people. The problem is it doesn't always satisfy. Here's an article. I've got it up from the Huffington Post. Now, I don't always read from the Huffington Post. I want you to know that, but there are some good articles there occasionally. This particular one, speaking of social media, says this, thus we spend our lives keeping up with the virtual Benjamins, creating, creating an online persona that rarely looks anything like us, a cybernetic facelift if you will. We create an image of a certain type of person. Someone who's smart, funny, witty, has good taste, fun friends, an interesting life. Someone who doesn't just live life, but lives a grand life. We experience the world and we do it while looking fabulous. We accomplish this in a million micro ways. Everything from tweeting about the fun people we're and you're not with, to posting pictures of our delicious and expensive dinner, or maybe an update about our wonderful significant other who treats us way better than your crappy ex treated you. We're not crafting this image for a stranger on eHarmony. We're doing it to our friends and our family. I love this line. It's a cross between straight up bragging and straight up lying. 
Social media allows us to put on these masks to become someone we're not. Like one of the struggles, especially with younger people, 18 to 24, is that they're comparing their life to the lives of others, and all they're seeing is the best from the other lives. Right? When, you, when you put a picture, and me too, when we put a picture on social media, it's not when we first wake up in the morning, our hair's all messed up, we don't have makeup on, is it? It's when we look really good and we've got everything fixed up and we, like we know what we're doing. We post those sorts of pictures. And so oftentimes when we look on social media, we kind of compare our worst to everybody else's best. It leads to depression. It leads to problems, especially within younger people. Now set aside the idea of addiction uh, and depression and teen suicide. Screen time in general, studies say, is pretty bad for kids. Here's what one doctor says. Addiction aside... A much broader concern that begs awareness is the risk that screen time is creating subtle damage even in children with regular exposure. Here's what the doctor says. As a practitioner, I observe that many of the children I see suffer from sensory overload, lack of restorative sleep, and a hyper-aroused nervous system, what I call electronic screen syndrome. These children are impulsive, moody, can't pay attention. Now, I'm telling you these things, for, for one, because we need to be aware of this. Right? We don't need to walk into the social media realm unaware of what's going on. Parents, you need to be aware. I'm speaking to parents as a parent. You need to open your eyes to this truth. The idea of having kids unlimited access at any point, at any time, to anything they want to see is extremely dangerous. So just warning signs ought to be going off in your brain here. You ought to be considering what you can do as a family to limit time, to install software that allows you to track or limit especially bad websites you don't want your kids to get on. You need to have these discussions as a family. You need to be aware of these things. Now, it'd be very easy for us at this point as Christians just kind of wash our hands out of it. Man, well, I mean, all the stuff you've just read, Adam, all the research, all the statistics, all the books that have been written, let, let's just all throw away social media forever. Let's never go back on it again, right? It's easy to say that. We all know that's never going to happen. We could just as easily bang our head against that wall and get something to change as we would telling people to not use social media. So the real question for us is not should we do away with it. It's here to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. The question for us really is how as believers do we respond? How do we leverage social media for the sake of the gospel? And even more importantly, how do we think biblically about this issue? How do we as believers figure out how the Bible applies to social media. Now, I'm going to make a statement, then we're going to jump into Ephesians 4 and spend some time in the scripture this morning. I'm going to make a statement that you need to understand about the Word of God. The Word of God is true for your daily lives and the way you interact with people at work and at school, just as it is true for your online presence and the way you interact with people online. What, what far too many people do is they think when they get into the social media world, they can check their Christianity card at the door. I can say whatever I want to say on social media. I can act any way I want to act. Kids, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to be mad at me, but I need to say this to parents. How many know what a Finstagram is? Kids are like, Finstagram? Seriously, raise your hand. Seriously. Not many. Okay, so here's a Finstagram account, right? You have your Instagram account where you have all the good stuff. You have a Finstagram, which is a fake Instagram account where you put all your bad stuff. Oh, that doesn't really happen. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> Absolutely. Students, does it happen? Yes or no? 
Yeah, it, yeah, they're all laughing. They're giving thumbs up. It happens, right? You've got your real Instagram where mom and dad are friends. They have the good pictures. Everything's happy. I'm a good Christian. I love the Lord. Your Finsta is your fake Instagram where everything bad happens and you get to say the things you really want to say. Students, if you have one and you're not acting like a believer on it, you need to stop. You don't get to check your Christianity card at the door. And so everything in Scripture applies to not only kind of the, the real world, but also to the virtual world. So let's take a look this morning at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read through some scripture, think about it together in light of social media. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. We have it on the screen for you as well. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we're members of one another. Stop there. Let me just make a point, kind of a biblical point here, kind of big picture point. Right? Paul in these verses says nothing about Instagram. Can you believe that? Nothing about Snapchat, nothing about Facebook, nothing about your online media process or who you are or how you live. But here's what we do when we take Scripture and apply it to our everyday lives. We take the truths and the, the principles of Scripture, figure out how we should apply them to our lives. And I believe this section of Scripture speaks very clearly to our online presence. And so I'm going to give you some truth about how you ought to live online, and we're going to walk through it together. Truth number one... While online, any sort of social media platform, number one, you should promote the truth of Christ. Or you should ask yourself on a regular basis, is what I'm doing here promoting the truth of Christ? Now, Paul makes this interesting argument in verses 18 and 19. He, he kind of compares these people that are unbelievers, that are living without the truth of the gospel, and he uses phrases in the scripture to help us understand they're darkened in their understanding, Paul says. They're alienated from the life of God. He speaks of their hardness of heart at the end of the verse. Verse 19, they've become callous. They're greedy. They practice impurity. Verse 20, there's the contrast. But this is not the way you learned Christ. So Paul says, listen, listen there, there's a group of people that act a certain way. that They don't love the Lord. They're greedy. They're impure in their thoughts. They don't love the Lord. But, verse 20, that's not how you learn Christ. You need to be different. Young Christian, we need to understand we're, we're not like the world. We don't buy into the same things that the world buys into. We don't think the same way the world thinks. We don't act the same way the world acts. We don't post in the same sorts of ways that the world does. Why? Because that's not the way we learned it in Christ. Put verse 20 back up. It's not the way we learned it in Christ. Right? We're, we're different in who we are. We're different in our thinking. Now go to verse 25. Paul says, therefore, because we're different, because we've learned differently, because we act differently, 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one family. So here's the question you ask yourself. As I'm posting online, as I'm involved in Snapchat or social media or Instagram or whatever, am I speaking truth? Does your online presence promote the truth? Does it promote Christ? Does it promote the gospel? Some of you say something like this. Yeah, I, I put all kind of truth on my, on my social media accounts, Facebook feeds or Instagram. I put all kind of truth. I put the truth of how my political candidate is better than yours. I put that truth. I put the truth of how my football team is, is better than yours. I, I, put, I put the truth about how I like this restaurant because the food is so much better than yours. And for so many people, they see that as truth. Let's be clear now. It's not really truth. It's what? It's your opinion, isn't it? Now, it may feel like truth to you. You may think your political candidate is better. You may think your football team is better. You may think the restaurant food is better. That's opinion. It's not truth. So let's, let's make it a little bit clearer here. here. Here's just a couple of examples of truth versus opinion. John went to the party. If John actually went, then that's true. John's shirt was ugly is your opinion. You understand the difference? Susie's hair is black. That's true if she's actually got black hair. Susie needs a haircut is your opinion. Well, we've fallen into this trap of speaking opinion and thinking it's truth. See the difference? Now, I'm not saying you've got to talk about everything and list specific truths about how people are doing what. I'm just saying you need to consider as you're posting, am I promoting truth? Am I promoting the truth about my life? Am I promoting the truth about Christ? Because we remember, you may remember from last week, we studied this idea of absolute truth, and we saw that absolute truth is found in Jesus Christ and in, in his word. So as we think about promoting truth, as we think about posting online, we begin to ask ourselves the question, listen, am I doing anything to promote Christ? Am I promoting the truth of Christ? Am I promoting the gospel? Am I I promoting how wonderful and incredible he is? Or am I promoting how good I am? Am I glorifying the Lord or am I glorifying myself? And so we come to this point, right? We ask the question, okay, I'm supposed to be promoting truth. I'm supposed to be promoting Christ and the gospel. How do I do that? Look at verse 26. Let's continue. Ephesians 4, 26. Paul's now going to give us some very specific things we can do. Be angry. And do not sin. Interesting phrase we'll come back to. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So so the first thing we see is that while we're online, we ought to be promoting truth, promoting Christ, promoting the gospel as much as we can. Now look, I'm not saying you need to post a video of you preaching Romans chapter 8. You can do that if you want to. I'm just saying you need to understand part of my calling as a believer is to promote truth online. Here's the second truth based on Ephesians 26 and 27. Truth number two, don't be offensive. Promote the truth. Don't be offensive. Now, I want to think through this just for a few minutes because Paul uses a phrase that I find fascinating and I think most people are confused by. Look at verse 26 again. Paul begins Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, with a very interesting phrase. Be angry and do not sin. Now, some people are already kind of wheels are turning. How can you be angry and not sin? I thought anger was a sin. I thought every time you got angry, that was considered a sin. Well, the Bible teaches that you can be angry and it's not a sin if you're angry at the right things. Okay, so the phrase we would use is something like righteous anger. So if you're angry at sin, that's righteous anger. So we think about things like abuse. We would say that everybody should be angry at abuse. 
Racism. We should all be angry at racism. Child sex trafficking should make us angry. Murder should make us angry. These are things that should make us angry. But here's the distinction. This is really important. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. We can be angry without acting angry. We can be angry without acting angry. Now, in kind of modern terms, we would, we would use the word offensive. Or you can be angry at something and upset at something without being offensive, without being mean, without being hurtful, without lashing out. The problem is, for far too many people, believers included, when something happens we don't like, we lash out at it. We're mean-spirited about it. We say something angry about the person that posted it. And here's what the Bible says in verse 26 and 27, right? Be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. See that? Here, here's what happens. This is something we need to be aware of on kind of our social media platforms. Believe it or not, the world is watching. And so if you claim to be a believer, you claim to be a Christian, I go to this church, or I do this, or I read my Bible, or whatever, in, in one post, and then the next day you're, you're bashing somebody or saying something very ungodly or hurtful or mean, the world's watching. And here's what happens when a non-Christian sees an angry, mean post of a Christian. You know what the non-Christian thinks? Why would I ever want to be part of that? They're no, they're no different than me. Right, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They just act one way on Sunday morning, but you can see clearly by this post, this is how they really feel. And guess what happens? Look at verse 27. The devil now has an opportunity in that person's life. You see that? Because that non-believer now has seen the Christian act in a way the Christian should not act. The non-believer is now aware that this Christian is maybe hypocritical or lying or not living the way they should live. What does the devil start whispering to that person? You don't need to go to that church. You don't need to study the Bible. Look what it did to that person. You don't want to be around a bunch of hypocrites. right? The, the devil has now had an opportunity because that person has posted something they shouldn't have posted. Now think through this with me just for a second because here's what people think. They say, listen, somebody was mean online, they were angry, they said something about me they should not have said, they were rude. How am I supposed to respond to that, Adam? I mean, I want to fire off a mean post or a tweet or send them a bad Instagram picture. I want to do something to kind of get back. How am I supposed to respond when someone is mean to me, angry with me, treats me in a way I shouldn't be treated? The Bible's got a, just an a interesting approach. I want you to look at it. Matthew 18, pull it up. Here's the Bible's approach. If you're, look at it on the screen. If your brother sins against you, fire off a mean tweet about him as soon as possible. Oh, you got a different, you got a different version up there? Not, that's not what yours says? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between him and you. Where? Wow. Well, that's 180 degrees from the way we respond online. Did you know that? Because online, we don't just go to him. We go to everybody. We don't do it alone, we do it in front of the world. Isn't it interesting how the, how the devil can take something that's awfully important and twist it and change it and make it feel right and yet it's so bad? Like I'm, I'm a firm believer, if everybody would kind of follow this Matthew 18 principle, 99% of the problems we have would not exist. Because you had a problem with you, just come talk to me about it. I had a problem with you, I'd come talk to you about it, right? That, that's the way Christ commands us to live. It's not about tweeting or posting or being angry on social media or, or in some way sliding somebody. It's about coming to you and saying, listen, I've got a problem with this. I'd love to speak to you about this. But here's the problem with too many people. We, we confuse online community with real community. 
we think if we're in an online kind of chat area, Facebook, or there's a bunch of people in a group text, that, that feels like the real world. And in the sense it is, I'm not diminishing that. But that's not how the Lord causes us to live. He, he calls us to be in fellowship. Why? Because sometimes it's difficult to be in fellowship, isn't it? It's very easy online if you don't like somebody. You just don't read anything they write. It's a lot more difficult when they're sitting in the same room with you. It causes you to be Christ-like when somebody else is not. It causes you to love the unlovable. It causes you to figure out how to deal with people you may not necessarily want to deal with. September of 2017, USA Today posted an article. I love the title. It says, Twitter won't water your flowers. How social media is destroying our sense of community. I want you to listen to what this writer says. What I realize is that social media is probably doing more to destroy our sense of self and community than anything else in the modern world. As fewer people go to church or participate in their local communities or even know their next-door neighbor, they've turned to worlds of their own construction where everyone in those worlds thinks like them. They do not have to deal with competing or differing opinions because in their worlds there are none. I want my children to understand that Twitter will not water their flowers when they're out of town. Facebook is not going to walk their dog. YouTube will not show up with a home-cooked meal when they are ill, but their local church friends will. Their next-door neighbor will. The actual real people around them cannot be substituted with digital friends somewhere else in the world, but too many people are trying to substitute the real for the digital. So just a couple of quick applications. You can jot a few of these down or you can go online and get them later. Just a couple of quick applications as far as substituting the real for the fake. Put your phones down. <laughs> what, a, what a novel idea. Spend some time with real people. You ever gone to a restaurant and, and I... I hesitate to say this because you may have seen me doing this. I hope not. But you go to a restaurant, people are sitting around the table and they've all got their phones out. And there's kind of a, a, a table full of people and, and 90% of them and not all of them are doing something on their phones. And sometimes they're texting each other. That's true. Sometimes they're in a Snapchat together, right? We, we laugh about that. We, we've lost this human inter interaction and, and, and it might be funny to us now. In 30 years, it's probably not going to be real funny. Put, put your phones down. We, we went to a Chick-fil-A a couple years ago in Florida, and we walked into Chick-fil-A. They had a box, and they said, listen, everybody in your family, if you'll take your cell phone, put it in the box during your meal, not touch it. At the end of your meal, we'll get every, everybody on your, in your table will get a free ice cream. I thought, what a, what a great... Now, we put our phones up anyway, usually, but I thought, what a great idea for families. Put, put your phones in a box. Have a, kind of a non-phone hour. Eat dinner together without phones. I mean, the idea, and this is a whole other idea, but the, just the incredible rudeness of me sitting next to you and when my phone rings, I'm so busy worried about my phone, I have to pause our conversation for a couple of minutes. And when you just back up and think a little bit about that, it really changes the way we view these things. Put, put your phones down, take cookies to a neighbor, take friend to lunch, pray for somebody in need. Just, just figure out a way to, to have real community instead of fake community. I need to finish up. Look at verse 29. We're, we're running low on time here. Paul gives us an alternative to being angry. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Truth number three, just speak life. Man, while you're online, while you're tweeting things out, while you're on Instagram, whatever you're doing, Snapchat, speak life. 
Paul says, no corrupting words. Build people up. Your, your, your words matter. Offer hope to people that are struggling. Offer hope to people that don't know Jesus Christ. And so I want to give you an acrostic. I want you to be able to walk away from here with a tool that will help you remember, kind of think through as you post. You need to ask yourself this question, right? We use the word oftentimes in social media, post. I'm going to post this or post that. So we've got an acrostic with the word post that will help you remember the truths that we looked at today. The first one is P. Put that up for me if you would, please. You portray the truth of Christ. Are you doing that? Like every time you post something, you should ask yourself the question, am I portraying the, the truth of Christ? Not necessarily am I preaching the gospel, but am I showing love, dignity, kindness? Am I thinking of others over myself? That's the P.O. Is it offensive? Like am I, am I writing something here that I know full well is going to be taken offensive? Somebody's going to take offense to this. It's going to be offensive to them. It's going to hurt their feelings. It's going to say something bad, bad about them that they shouldn't hear or that I shouldn't say. Is it offensive in the things that I'm writing? S. Does it speak life? Like, like, am I really speaking life in the things that I say? Am I being kind? Am I showing love? Am I showing compassion? And then T, kind of the, the most important one here, just test your heart. You, you know, you know more than anybody else what your intent is with that post. You know it. And you may act like it's one thing and pretend like it's one thing, but in your heart you know what you're actually doing. Just test your heart. Are you pleasing God or pleasing the Lord? Are you pleasing self or pleasing the Lord? Because this is the world we live in. man. We're posting all the time. We're on social media. We're interacting with people. Are we using this to leverage the gospel? Are we using this for the sake of Christ? Or are we using it to bring glory to ourselves? That's our challenge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Ephesians 4 and the reminder of how we should live, Father, both in the real world and the virtual world. Just open up our eyes to the truth of who we are and how we live and how we should interact. Lord, let us be Christ-like in all the things we say and do. May we bring you honor and glory. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can stand. Altar is open. An opportunity for you to pray. Come speak to me. You respond as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.